Saga Ohio, a podcast by fans and players of Saga, the skirmish miniatures game from Studio Tomahawk. For our 11th episode of Saga Ohio, I have a special treat. It is my pleasure to introduce to my listeners the next generation. I'm happy to welcome Jason Stelzer, son of Mike Stelzer, my guest on episode 9, along with his two cousins, Thomas and Daniel Munn. They've been playing Saga for, what guys, about a year and a half now? Yeah, Yeah, about a year and a half. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for agreeing to be my guest, guys. Uh, why don't you tell our, uh, our listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, I'll start. My name yeah. is uh, Jason um, Stelzer. Like Mike said, I'm the son of Mike Stelzer. Um, mostly the kind of gaming I would say I do is mostly board gaming and role-playing, but um, I've always had a soft spot for historical miniature gaming as well. Um, Mike and I uh, go way back back to when I was maybe like eight years old, would you say, Mike? Nine is what your dad said at dinner tonight, but you know how your dad is often wrong. Yes, he is often wrong, about most things usually. But um, yeah, so we played DBA back in the day, uh, the Bellas Antiquitous, and then uh, my dad introduced me to Saga and uh, had been exploring that game and uh, just kind of looked forward to kind of building up armies and kind of exploring what the game uh, kind of has to offer, you know, its players. All right, Thomas? Yeah, so, um, you know, I mostly play board games. My favorite game is probably Axis and Allies, uh, Global. Um, I like playing Scythe a lot. But when it comes to uh, historical miniatures, um, we always, as kids, lived about two hours away from Jason and my Uncle Mike. And when we come back, we usually had times where we could play a fun new game that was based around history, something that I always loved. Um, and really got into it with DBA when we were, I want to say third grade, got my first army, a Marian Roman army. I loved uh, Gladiator and learning about Caesar at the time, and it was always fun, again, going to my uncle's that, you know, had all these cool little painted figures that we could play uh, strategy games with, and about a year and a half ago, we came to one of the game days um, and played Saga, and I had been reading a lot about the Crusades at that time and ended up getting a war band that was a Crusaders war band, um, but, uh, you know, enjoy the game, the mechanics behind it, and I've always enjoyed the historical miniatures, but typically I play um, board games. All right, Daniel. Yeah, so I'm Daniel. Uh, I, I got into Saga, like you said, about a year and a half ago. Before that, play board games, video games, role-playing games, really any kind of game, just enjoy playing games. Um, <clears throat> Most of Jason Thomas and our uh, Uncle Mike, who I was under the impression was always right, but maybe I was wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, just uh, we love playing. I love playing new games, and uh, it was always something I think Mike instilled in us when we were little kids to to have a love for strategy games. So it really uh, helps too that we all love history too. So well, that's great. Uh, I guess we have more to thank thank Mike for than we thought. Uh, so maybe you take after him a little bit, thinking that uh, he's always right. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe so. <laughs> so, um, I was going to start uh, start uh, my questions with you, Jason. Uh, that um, you brought your uh, you, you brought your Roman army, Romans from Age of Invasion, uh, to our latest game day. Uh, what did you enjoy most about uh, getting back into things with the, in this most recent Saga game day? Um, well, it was just it was good to kind of just 
play games with people again. Um, you know, outside of quarantining, because obviously this is being recorded sort of in the aftermath of uh, the COVID-19 crisis. So we've been, you know, we hadn't really played, or at least I hadn't really played in probably about a, I don't know, it's probably been like a year now, I guess, a year that sort of never happened, it kind of feels like. Um, so it's good just to kind of see everyone and get a feel again for the game, especially get a feel for the Romans. I'm kind of a defensive player, and so the, I, the Romans really fit that play style, I think. At least I think at least, that kind of real defensive, and just so kind of just getting used to, getting back used to like the Romans and getting kind of like remembering my own sort of play style. It was kind of a, it was a good sort of, um, you know, way of doing that, opportunity to do that. So you think so, the, the Roman uh, board kind of matches your play style then? Yeah, I would say I'm generally. I mean, you can you can ask Thompson Daniel, but when we play games, I tend to be more defensive. I would say in my strategies, and the Romans have a lot of abilities that allow for extra defense dice. And actually, the last Romans are the exact same way. There's a lot of ways of building up defense dice, and so it's really. And Daniel played me, so he can maybe attest to this better. Than I can just from my own, like, you know, from the opponent's perspective. But, like, it's really, like, making sure you're stacking up abilities and letting the enemy hit you so you can kind of use those defensive abilities and kind of lure your opponent into maybe doing something that's could potentially get his units killed. Um, so, yeah, it definitely more matches my kind of defensive play style for sure. Yeah, I kind of thought you were uh, consciously objecting to combat at first through the through the North Scales off. So we kind of redhead run ran head first into you, and it didn't go didn't go too well. I was gonna say loading up all those uh, spilled blood abilities. You weren't able to wipe out all those guys with that. <laughs> I I could wipe out one. That was that's about as good as they did. They were very <laughs> deceiving. Well, because he kind of, anytime you would use that ability, he would stack a bunch of dice on his combat pool. And so the next turn, I think he was assuming that he would be able to use those. Well, I just wouldn't attack him. So he, so he would then have to, like, pick all those dice back up and then re-roll them. Um, so, because when I noticed that, it's like, well, I'm not going to just charge headlong into, you know, a suicidal charge. Uh, that I know he's going to have a ton of dice on. So I kind of try to lure him more into attacking me than attacking him, for sure. So what was, uh, what was the Romans' best moment uh, the other Sunday? Was, what was their, their best moment of the day? Oh, it was against you, for sure. <laughs> I think um, I know it's coming. Yeah, I mean, I could have chosen our, my first sort of bound of battle with Daniel where he kind of rushed... He, charged a group of warriors into my warriors and um, the entire unit evaporated on my Roman shields. And I don't think, I mean, did I lose one unit or one figure, Daniel? <laughs> yeah, I think you lost one. Yeah, what? and his whole, like, 12-man warrior unit was gone. Um, but definitely it was that moment where I kind of, in my battle with you, where I kind of wheeled my cavalry, um, hearthguard, mounted hearthguard, into kind of a, a fragile position, kind of a open position um, next to this, uh, I think it was like a woods, it was a piece of terrain. Mm -hmm. And then you you rushed in your your um, hearth guard unit and 
you kind of had to push it to get there, but I kind of figured that's what you're going to do because your hearth guard was larger than mine. It was a six-man hearth guard versus my four-man, and they were... You threw your javelins and then charged in. I think at the end of it, you had two fatigue on you, and mm-hmm. so you wanted to move them away with, the I think, your last activation for your hearth guard, and I canceled that activation and then was able to move my eight-man foot hearth guard in and just kind of wiped out the entire unit without losing a figure. That was probably the best moment. It was uh, it was the most losses they had taken in a long time. Uh, so um, what he had done is, first I had taken up both my, actually both my six-man Moorish mounted hearth guard with javelins, and we'd thrown javelins at him. I fully expected to destroy him with just, just throwing our javelins. I didn't really expect them to still be there. But uh, Jason had this one thing going for him in the game for sure is he, he saved like every missile shot hit I ever put on him the entire game virtually. And I think, I think he was losing, I think he only lost one from 12 attacks. And so then I clicked my, uh, my big powerful ability, Torrent of Iron. And for, for a change, I actually chose the take another shooting attack because I'm like, ah, I want to soften these guys up a little bit. It, that's, you know, six against three, that's too close to a fair fight for my moors. Um, and so he went, and then, then we actually did some damage, but then we charged in. And, at, and I, I fully expected you to use my fatigue in the combat, you know, to be able to, like, lower my attack ability or whatever and, you know, to get it, get one or two kills. But you left it on there to have two there. And, yeah, I did not see that one coming. I did not see you not using my fatigue in the melee phase and me having two instead of one. Because I was perfectly fine with you slowing me down to a short. I'd have still been outside of the range of your, of your slow, uh, slower foot hearth guard. But uh, yeah, that was a that was a ugly moment in the game, and uh, potentially could have lost me the game quite easily. You know, the only I mean, it was a close game. It was twenty to twenty one, I think, right? Yeah, and, and honestly, you know, you can look at any it's just like any game that's that close. You can look at any moment in the game and say, well, that's the difference. But you losing the entire unit, the four man Hearthguard unit, your bait, as you admitted they were. Um, is a minus one point in survival points. You know, so that hurt you, took you down a point when we were actually tied when we got done through the, the positive points. So, um, yeah, that was... And then the rest of the game was a pretty bizarre game with... Uh, now that I now that I know your secret's out that you play mostly defensively, I, I, will, I will be expecting that. But I kept expecting him to come for my troops, and he never did, you know. And uh, we didn't really have a whole lot of combat, did we, Jason? No, I mean, because you had a levy bow unit, and the way the map or the train was set up, there was basically two pieces of train that were just not being used. They are out sort of on the sides, but I'd position my troops in between a hill and a, a wooded area, and I did that to avoid getting shot because I had no ranged units, and you had at least three range units, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. And so I was trying to make sure I wouldn't get pelted by arrows. The idea was eventually you're going to come forward, and then once you do, I can then move my um, my uh, you know foot units into your range, you know, your, your range units, your uh, mounted javelins and your levy bow. But that levy bow 
stood up to my Roman legionnaires. Um, I don't know how many times I went into them, and I lost more units than the levy bow did. Yeah, you uh, charged them twice. Uh, but remember, you've got to put those legionnaires in the uh, in quotation marks. Those are your levy legionnaires. Those were the uh, the pseudo comitatensis, or however you pronounce it. They were they were not your 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 uh, elite foot hearth guard that, that that is true they were my warriors i don't think i don't think i pushed my le- i know i did push my levies in there once expecting to hit, hit them but then i pushed my warriors in and they they also got pushed back right um uh, so which could be another yeah. point where we could say that that's where the game turned there too was uh the fact that you know my levy bow stood up to not only the charge of your levy foot you know your levy spearmen i guess we could call them it also stood up to your warriors, um, and uh, yeah, so it was. It was there were not a lot of fights. I think the the you you charged my bowmen twice. You charged my uh, one of my spear units twice, um, and then we had the uh, tit for tat at the beginning of the game over there with the with the. And I think that was it. I mean, I had lots of shots, and I just couldn't uh, I couldn't get an arrow or a javelin to hit home against you. Um, so. So yeah, I got lucky on the uh, the, the Malise, but uh, I think you you got lucky, or you were playing your Roman defensive abilities and uh, saved against my shooting really well. So either way, it was it was a close game, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, now, they have that. Uh, the Romans have that ability, Scada, that it lets them reroll defense dice, and I think usually because of the way I was positioning my troops, usually I had a shot. I think like on one unit at a time. And mm-hmm. so I would just use that ability on that unit to keep them from, you know, losing any figures um, and, you know, re-roll the defense dice or put them on my combat bonus to get extra defense dice. Right. Yeah, that's good. And it's a good point that uh, it's for all of them. Oh, equal to your impetus plus one. So unless I somehow do more than five casualties, you know, it's probably not going to come into play that you don't can't re-roll enough of them. But... Uh, so what, Daniel? What happened in your game with uh, with Jason? Huh. Um. Well, we ended up actually ended up a little bit closer than I thought it was going to be. I think we ended seventeen to nineteen or, or something like that. But uh, my plan was to go up uh, right up to the middle attack. I took my warriors up, um, expecting them to die with spill blood. I had spill blood activated, and I also expected to, to take a few of his units out. But that didn't happen. He ended up defending on that first bound and losing one unit to my whole unit getting wiped off the board. I think Jason used the term evaporated, which is about <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, as he said, I then had these uh, these dice, these uh, combat bonus dice, but nobody was within range to kind of make a bound, so he was able to kind of sit back, do what Romans do, kind of lock your shields together, I guess, and wait for the uh, barbarians to come up again. So we, we uh, ended up going up again, Kind of the same result, I believe. I moved my hearth card up the left side around some um, bad going, and uh, they did some damage to make up some points at the end. I, I got into a clash with, I think, your mounted hearth card, Jason? Not initially. So I moved, I kind of used my, not shouldn't give out my secrets, but I used my mounted hearth guard basically as bait. So I moved, it would have been my right side, Daniel's left. I moved my mounted hearth card acting like I was going to flank him to pull out units from like the main force, which he did. He pulled out his hearth guard, and then I just kind of ran them back, and then I moved my foot hearth guard up that way to kind of meet his foot hearth guard. They did eventually meet because I was 
I kind of impetuously rushed those hearse card into your hearse card because I didn't take as many units as I wanted to when I fought with my my foot hearse guard. But they they didn't it was they weren't the initial meet. I don't if I'm remembering correctly. No, you're right. You, yeah, you moved the horses up the and then you you went back and I was bending the corner and then on that second to last turn we we had combat. So you are correct. So Daniel, is your hearth guard unit is that a six man or a four man or what was it? So I did an eight man hearth guard. I'd been oh. doing four four man hearth guards, um, really, but I don't think I, I think I would try sixes in the future. I only have enough to field um, really. I don't think I have twelve units yet in that army. So and it's either heavy weapons or 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 just regular hearth guard and i've been using heavy weapons which i don't think i'll use again they were just normal hearth guard but um they fared pretty well in combat it's just kind of an expensive and slow unit going up uh going up the side yeah so that was a it was a battle of heavyweights two eight man eight packs of hearth guard there going against each other what what happened when those two hit uh i ended up repelling him and uh i think jason ended up with maybe two hearth guard left and then i was able to then hop onto his I, I wiped your one unit out, um, your mounted, your mounted unit. I believe I hopped yeah. over to the mounted unit and wiped them out, um, hoping to get enough points to to squeeze out a win, and I didn't. So we ran out of time. So, so word to the wise: uh, if you're planning on joining Jason's forces, don't join the mounted Earth Guards because they're nothing more than bait, you know, and they're <laughs> supposed to, and they're supposed to die to a man. So. Um, so, Daniel, what, what you might want to do with, when you're going to play Spill Blood, make sure you have at least one more activation and a unit in chart place to use it because there's no point in getting all those dice and combat bonus after Spill Blood if you don't have another charge queued up to use them. Because as you saw with Jason, he's like, I ain't coming in. You got you know five dice in there or six dice in there or whatever. But it's always good to, to plan at least two attacks and – the first one generates all the spill blood dice, and the second one uses the spill blood dice. So. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I, uh, I figure I, I got that down after after that battle. I realized I need to have um, work that out a little bit differently. <laughs> yeah. So, so what was your what was your best moment for your uh, for your uh, Norse Gales? That's what that's what you brought, Daniel. So, what was the best best moment? Yeah. I think it's when I was fighting Thomas's Crusaders. Actually, I had pushed his fanatical pilgrims back, and I had a I had an extra movement, so I could actually go up with my spill blood and try to take them out. But then I was told that I could only kill three of them, so it kind of it was my best moment until it wasn't. But it was it felt pretty good right until that moment. So is that a special rule on the fanatical pilgrims? You can't kill more than three, or is that a battle board? It is battle board. Yes. It uh, limits on the casualties. I was going to say, I don't remember many bright moments from our battle the other day, but I didn't want to say <laughs> that, you know. Um, but no, yeah, he. Uh, I think that was the same battle. I had taken out two of your units, and then you thought you were finally going to get them, and we used Blessings of the Righteous, and um, Fanatic will seem to live another day. Yeah, I've been on the wrong end of that one, too. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an uncommon dice, Blessing of the Righteous, and uh, you can't suffer any more casualties than its armor value so those pilgrims with their three can't suffer any more than three so no matter how many dice you're throwing at them you can be maxed out at the 32 dice they're only going to take three casualties and it's it's, it's a real pisser i know that 
So yeah, I snapped my uh, ruler. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> well, it kind of plays the, the advantage of the fanatical pilgrims because it, um, you kind of want to lose a couple units he's bound, so you get the you get the reload on the saga dice, but you don't want to lose too many because you lose the unit altogether. So it seems to play really strong with that unit. Yeah, so Daniel usually plays, I mean, Thomas usually plays the Levantine Crusaders. Um, and uh, so uh, how many Fanatic Pilgrims do you take in your normal build for, for that, Thomas? I, I would like to take two, but I, I only take one. Um, I feel like there's a fine line with the Crusaders going from super TV to then not using enough Pilgrims to make the, the battle board effective. So... I usually run one fanatical pilgrim, two regular pilgrim units, and then um, you know I, I thought about running a fourth um, pilgrim unit, making it another fanatical, but I just don't know. It doesn't. The damage they do with one unit, I can't imagine having more than one of those on the board at the time. Yeah. So now, if you're not taking the legendary dude, you're not taking Peter the Cheese Hermit, um, then. How many can you, are you allowed to have on your Levantine? How many fanatical ones? Can you have as many as you want? Well, or? I think, aren't, aren't the rules set where you can have two special units per warband? I thought, or maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong with Three, that. I thought. Uh, it's like half, you can no oh, more than right. half. Oh, uh, so there's no okay. limit on your list. It doesn't say you can only have so many. It's just whatever the normal list says for... Yeah, because it's a mercenary unit. But, that, but then there are... Are they loyal then? Are your fanatical pilgrims loyal so you can use any of the battleboard abilities to it for them? Um, they use the same abilities as a regular um, Levantine peasant would use. So, in terms of the battleboard abilities, they, they work exactly like a regular, wait, regular pilgrim unit that says it right on their uh, definition. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. So, so you normally just have one fanatical one, and you, and how many do you normally take of the ordinary pilgrims then? I've never taken more than two regular pilgrim units, so three all together. So I usually run an eight-man hearth guard, foot hearth guard, um, a crossbow unit, um, and then I, and that is a warrior unit, and then I run the three-point pilgrim. Okay, all right. So, so this, so everybody hear that you, you're exercising self-restraint there, uh, Jason and Daniel. Thomas is not being near as cheesy as he could against you guys. <laughs> You know, I I fought Thomas's Crusaders. I don't think that, I don't think they're that invincible. I think both times I've played Thomas, your Crusaders. At least the last time I played at your house, I believe the last Romans beat the Crusaders, yeah. if I'm remembering correctly. I think if I ran a three fanatical pilgrims, a eight man foot hearth guard, and then whatever else, that would probably make the game less fun for everyone. But maybe I'll try it one of these days. I don't know. I'm open to it. I'd like to see how it works. So the next time we play, you can certainly do that. All right, Thomas, I, I hereby give you permission to uh, to use as many fanatical pilgrims against Jason as you want uh, in the next battle. Because... <laughs> I'll just choose a really shooty army that all they do is shooting. Yeah, well, that's, that's... That's, uh, that, that's against your normal Roman army. You don't you didn't have any bow in, in our last game. No, I would, I would have to use last Romans, I oh, think, okay. against the Crusaders. Just shoot them up and so they can't really get the same advantage against you with the, the saga abilities. So, Thomas, you're the most experienced running those fanatical pilgrims. What has stopped them the most? I mean, because I, I, I tell everybody they're a wrecking ball, and they keep coming and keep coming until they're dead or you're dead or one or the other or both. You know, what, what stops them in their tracks the most? 
I mean, I think the thing that I think they are powerful, but it, you also are wasting most of your saga dice on two um, abilities each turn, which cost four saga dice. Um, and I'd say the weakness that you see the most is probably just once those pilgrims start to die, um, or if you don't have that ability, they just don't defend well. They have a really low, I mean, defense. Usually it's being lowered because they're usually um, fatigued going into combat. So I, I think that helps get rid of the unit. Um, what really hurt me, the one day I, I won my first battle when we played here in Dayton a few weeks ago, and then we, we ran it back again with the, and I apologize, I don't remember his name, who came up from Cincinnati. Um, but he, first bound, um, our first turn, um, made a point to find the fanatical pilgrims and kill them in the first, uh, as soon as he could. So um, they didn't get any advantage. I got no extra saga dice from that. And um, he, he really just moved, I think, mounted infantry um, or the mounted hearth guards do a lot of damage because the pilgrims move slow. So if you can, you know, be offensive, um, more offensive than the pilgrims are, or the Lemon Time Crusaders, that seems to be something that stops me. But when people play more defensive, I seem to do a little better with them because um, then you're kind of controlling when you're using happier the humble and the peasants who stayed as opposed to, you know, if they're moving into me fast, I might not have those abilities as active. So I, I'm really at that point fighting with pilgrims instead of warriors, which is what that um, happier the humble ability does. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty powerful combination because Happy the Humble makes you makes you fight as warriors, so you're a levy 12-man unit, but you're going to act as warriors for combat dice. You're no longer unarmed. And the Peasant's Crusade, it, it lets you activate all of them uh, for free with a, with doesn't, doesn't generate fatigue, so you can do that after the first you know, round of attacks and then get a second free round of attacks with them. So, so you're saying actually... The best way to counter them is to aggressively seek them out, take them out early, you know, before they can really utilize. And the worst thing to do is to sit back yeah, and I let them think, come to you. Yeah, I think the the times I've won the easiest is when I've been able to control that ability, um, because I'm, obviously I would rather attack as a warrior than um, defend as a pilgrim um, or a regular levy. So I feel like the players that are more aggressive, is, or at least in the, I've not played that many games to be an expert in it, but. Um, it, it seemed to be the more aggressive player has done better. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Jason, do you remember how you were able to take him out last time with the, as the last Romans? I remember it had a lot to do with the composite bow because uh, it's, it's been a while since we played when we played. Me and Thomas haven't played a, each other in a while, but I think what I did is I just kind of wore him down with the composite bow mounted unit. Um, I just kind of run that around his units and shoot at him. And then I also had, I think I was using my javelin levies as slainers that, that game. Mm -hmm. um, and then had the bow unit and just kind of using, the one thing I like is having a map with a lot of terrain. I believe there was a lot of terrain out that time. And just kind of pelting him as much as I could with, um, and just kind of wear down the fanatical pilgrims. Because he wasn't, he didn't have that ability activated, so that they would be, um, you know, lower armor um, against the shooting, and just kind of hang back, use the terrain to my advantage, and just kind of keep ha keep hammering them. That's what I remember, at least. So, like most of the games we play, even at Daniel and Jason, I seem to always remember me as winning. So I don't even remember this battle happening in the past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I would say that uh, you've you've had good success with them. I mean, uh, coming into last week, and you were well, you had won both your games against Michael from uh, Cincinnati. Yeah, you guys, you, you beat him the first game, and you guys started a rematch. You know, even before you could take a breath, you guys were, were playing another game, and so you won both those at, uh, at Dragons Guildhall, and then you uh, you won the uh, fraternal match against uh, Daniel. And then you see so you were up you were up three zero before uh, uh, you you decided to give him a rest and give me a break and play him as play Baltic against me. So I would say you have a lot. But of success. that was an interesting board to try. Yeah. So in our, I was really surprised you did it. I mean, did you was did you do it because you were afraid I was going to give you grief as being a cheese master playing them or <laughs> what? You know that may have gone through my head a little bit, but <laughs> no, I, I also. Um, I kind of wanted to try it just because I've never used it, um, and I'd, I'd already played again. I played the same army now for a year and a half, pretty much. Besides when I played the Norman, I think I played the Normans once. I think I played Last Romans once. Besides that, I've only played Crusaders, eleven times Crusaders. So I, I kind of just wanted to switch it up. But I, I found out almost before the match even started that I knew things were probably not going to go as well as I'd like because um, the battleboard is just so much different when you take away any levy unit. Uh, it completely changes the way the army functions. Um, and looking at the book, you know, I think if I were to do something like this yet again, I would probably run a legendary um, character like Henry the Lion um, and run more Western Knights, because I think that's where the Baltic Crusaders become more powerful when you can use um, a character. I think that character really makes that, that Baltic Crusader army a lot stronger. And that's actually what uh, Bob Boggs and I talked about in our in the last uh, podcast. Is he's he's running that Henry the Lion? I think that's the one. I think I'll have to look it up. But uh, he's running he's running that same exact combination where you can get you get like one Western Knight unit for free. You can buy an unlimited number of Western Knights. Is that is that the one you're thinking of? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. You get, um, the free Western Knight unit um, without any points, and then you can have as many Western Knights in your warband as you like. And they also gain the loyal special rules, so it's a really powerful. It makes I think it adds a lot to it. Right. Yeah, I could I could see that too. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think that the uh, the Crusaders Battleboard really switches gears when it when it, you take out the peasants, um, and it almost makes it almost a more defensive battleboard than attacking battleboard. Because as it is now, I mean, with chinks in their armor. You know, all those things. It's just, it's like, um, you know, God's judgment. All those are just such great, you know, gain a bunch of dice, attack dice abilities. And, uh, you know, I think it's, I, I've always told people, I think it's the best, the most lethal battle board in the Age of Crusades book, the Levantine Crusaders. It's uh, definitely a fun one to run. Um, and, it, you know, it's funny, our battle, I, some of the things that have happened uh, early on, you know, I think we're, it probably would happen still with 11 times, so I don't know if it would have been a big difference, um, but definitely changes up a lot compared to the normal play style of movement as fast and hard as possible. Yeah, um, so in our game, uh, you know, uh, we were playing the uh, feasting and pillaging where there's like the three, um, you know, objective markers in the middle of the board, and I really wasn't as concerned with them, although I set up a spearman unit to go after each one, and I set up my uh, archers to, to cover whoever went after the middle one. Um, I, I actually, you know, my eyes got really big, and I started, 
you know, salivating when I saw that your eight-man warrior or mounted warrior unit was only armor three versus shooting. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> my my moors can't wait to meet them. <laughs> so and then when you marched him out there at the beginning of the game, I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going to go throw dice at the throw javelins at this guy. So but um, yeah, that was uh, that was pretty something tone for the battle. I think right there you uh, showed the, the, the flexibility of that uh, javelin hearse guard and then being able to move it in, throw the javelin, get back out of combat, and then take out the whole unit without, I mean, it was, it was uh, not fun to be on that side of it, but it was uh, a cool tactic to see. Well, and, and then you, you did pretty good. You fired back the next round. I think you killed like um, three of the five guys in my foot spear unit with your, your bow. But I don't know, if, do you remember when you shot me with your crossbow? Because remember I was pointing out you had like three activations queued up for your levy. And I said, because you, know, you can't shoot twice in a row with crossbow. I said, shoot, move, shoot. You know, is what you should do if mm-hmm. you really want to fire twice. How did I take no casualties from that? What happened? I think I don't know. I'm not sure how that happened. Yeah. I think Mike might have cheated. Is what I is what I'm getting. That's that's the feeling I'm getting. But. I think I just got one of those rare moments of uh, great uh, defensive dice rolling is what it was. But, uh, yeah, because I, I was pretty sure you shot me twice. But I looked at my pictures. I always take pictures of the games. And at the end of the game, there were still eight of them sitting there. And I know you <laughs> shot them. I know you shot them twice. Yeah, I, I think you just canceled really well. I think you canceled all the hits. And it right. was funny because my first that happened to me, I, I pushed the foot hurt guard up the middle to try to get, you know, try to do something and salvage the battle. And, um, you picked those guys off. Yeah, I think you took five or six units with your archers that were hiding in that um, field or the ruins back there when I got up to it, which was odd when they were defending at a, a five. So just, uh, I guess, different wrong day for the Crusaders. Right. Actually, I think everybody everybody gang, ganged in on him that time. I think I fired twice with the guys, with the art, levy archers, and I think each of the Hearthguard units went up and threw javelins at him too, and you're... Your save rolls were horrid that uh, that game. You just I, I think all those save or those those missile hits I didn't get against Jason, I got against you is what it boiled down to be. Talking about the Crusaders, what was their best moment of the most recent game day? I, I think the best moment was there was a a piece of it and Daniel I don't think had played the Crusaders before and um, we'd never played each other before, so um, but his North Gales are lined up, um, there's a little like pond or lake in the middle and the fanatical pilgrims used their uh, the peasant um, crusade and happy or the humble and um, they moved up, destroyed a whole unit, got to move up again, destroyed another unit, and then Daniel's first time the next turn he thought he'd kill all of my units and he don't, could only take three. So I think that was uh, <laughs> the play of the game. Yeah. The next turn they were then able to move in and I think they took your leader the next bound or they did something the next bound where they were still alive. So they, they lasted <laughs> much longer than they probably should have. They did. They did. They reminded me of like the, uh, I don't know, like the little locusts or little things from the mummy. They just kept like going over my units and taking them all out. So then they kept moving. I don't know. It, uh, they're tough. I think I, I know, I know how to counteract them next time, but they, they were uh, pretty tough. Yeah. Would you call it cheesy, Daniel? Or <laughs> maybe, maybe even cheesy. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I would just like to say I, th- I I'm glad that Thomas is now the you know the cheesy player because I was for years the cheese player um, when we played DBA so um, with my uh, my free company that the the Army Mike 
love to hate. I think. Well, and I think I think you come by it naturally because your dad is cheesy. What did you say? I said you can't be cheesy when you're constantly defensive in your dugout. It's hard to be cheesy. Yeah. That is true. Yeah, it is. When you're not doing anything, yeah. Hold the line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That's what he did. Oh, there's a river there. We're not going to go across that thing. <laughs> no. So, yeah, so the, so the Fanatical Pilgrims have been renamed the Zombie Mummies, or the, the Zombie Pygmies from, uh, from the Mummy is what they are. <laughs> so... But that's what I'm talking about. That's that's why I call him a wrecking ball because, you know, Thomas moved him up, attacked Daniel's one unit. Uh, he lost a few, but he killed he killed pretty much all of them. But for all the losses he got, he got more saga dice. So he rolls those saga dice again. You put all but one of them on the combat ability. Then you put another one on activation. Activates him again. Oh, I forgot. Removes the fatigue, you know, that he just took. Uh, Goes in again, slams into the next unit, does the same thing, you know, kills a bunch of people with all those combat dice. And also, uh, for every one of his you kill, you turn around and he rolls more saga dice. It's it's a wrecking ball. It's like the the ball is swinging back and forth, and the ball is those fanatical pilgrims. And so either the ball is going to break or that wall is coming down. And more often than not, I mean, that... They can take down a wall. Yeah, I think I well, stopped final, him finally yeah, with uh, King of, King of the Isles and Norse um, with my uh, my warlord. So I pretty much he couldn't hit me, and then all my um, what is that automatic? I had like automatic hits that he couldn't stop. So finally, my warlord could take him out, but they they went through about three well, units. The funny thing too is the fanatical pilgrims. You finally take them all out. Any fatigue on any of my units, my whole war band goes away. So, <laughs> yeah. um, like the, I think it's called Hallelujah is the, the ability, and it just removes all fatigue. So I can't imagine having three points of that or running Peter the Hermit where your whole war band can be made up of that. That would just uh, seem a little, a little more cheesy. Yeah, Hallelujah, I think, means, for the fanatical pilgrims, I think in Latin it means cheese. Is what it means Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a... Uh, so, Daniel, I was thinking, that reminded me of my game against, long ago, uh, before COVID, against uh, Thomas's, uh, you know, uh, cheesy crusader army. Um, I kind of did a similar thing. You said you, 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 you know, he went against your warlord. You had king of the isle, so your armor was six, so you didn't get many hits. Uh, so, basically, he attacked you and did nothing. I would, when I played, and that was back when I was playing the picks, or the Scots, as I, you know, I call them the picks, but they're really the Scots army list. And I would dig in, I would like, you know, uh, close ranks, play my defensive abilities. And so he would attack me and get all these hits, but then I'd save them all. And then I wouldn't do much to him, so he wouldn't get enough dice to really take advantage of them. And that was the way I outlasted them. And then you wait till it's like his turn when he has nothing on his board. Then you're like, okay, I'm going to attack him on, on, on my turn. And he may have all these. He may have all eight of his dice in combat bonus for me killing all those fanatical pilgrims. But he's probably going to pick up most of those and roll them at the beginning of his next turn because he, he can't, you know, really do much with you know eight dice in combat ability. So that kind of reminds me how I stopped them. And, that, and I'll tell you what, that was Thomas's early on. Thomas had not been playing the uh, Crusaders for very long at that point, and I've been playing the Scots for a while, and they're a really tough army. Some people say they're one of the toughest. Uh, and I barely squeaked by Thomas in that game. I mean, I thought I was going to lose, you know, and 
I barely squeaked out a win. So that's I think definitely... that was your first time playing against Crusaders, right? It was my first time playing against you with the Crusaders, but I had been on the wrong okay. end with, conversely, I was playing Norse Gales, you know, Daniel's Army, basically. The first time I faced the Crusaders against, I think it was Jeff Fletcher. And uh, I'm, he's like playing these happy are the humble and chinks in your armor. And I keep looking at the board. I'm like, geez, what doesn't give you six attack dice on this board? You know, so. I think it's just the wrong army to go against the Crusaders, to be honest. It's just a lot of the abilities that give you power also um, don't really matter. Because if you're spilling blood, he's getting to take off Saga to, or getting to take off um, fatigues and things like that. So I just think the Norse scales are maybe a bad army against them. But yeah. we'll see. We'll have to yeah. try it again. So, Daniel, do you have a you're, – you're, you're painting Anglo-Saxons, right? So I'm not painted yet. I've assembled them. So they've, uh, I've never done any of this. So I bought uh, Anglo-Saxons and Saxons about right when we started playing. Um, and I, uh, I just got to uh, kind of – I got the metal one, so I started looking up. I, I, really, I removed the uh, mold lines, uh, assembled them, and now they're ready to be primed and then painted. But, yes, it's going to be hopefully uh, Anglo-Saxons here soon. So have you figured out how many points worth you're going to do with that army? I mean, because because they're a lot, they they really favor levy uh, in that in that board that, that battle board does. I have not. Um, I have a bunch of everything, so uh, I'll be able if I when I get them painted up to run just about anything. But I've not really even looked at much of their battle board or anything. It's just kind of what I wanted. I got the Alfred the Great piece and a bunch of different things. So after I get them painted, then I'll look at uh, you know I, I can do a bunch of combinations. Right. Yeah. Cool. That sounds good. Um, so, uh, Jason, let's jump back to you on this one. Um, what did you learn, if anything, uh, about your army or battle board from our last day from those two games? Your your squeakily narrow loss against me and your uh, victory over uh, Daniel. What you, What'd you learn from uh, that Sunday? Um. Yeah. I guess it's almost opposite things. Kind of. I think with against you. I probably shouldn't. I probably should have been a bit more aggressive. The issue was I need to make sure my eight-man Hearthguard unit, which I really like, it's a real big like um, bulldozer of a unit. But making sure that's in a more central location. Obviously, I used it to take out your one Hearthguard unit, and they never lost a figure. But I couldn't get them over to what would have been, I guess, my right flank, the right side of the board, your mm -hmm. left side, and time to really do much damage. And then with Daniel, I guess, I just it was I was too impetuous. Um, so, because on our right side, I went on the attack probably when I shouldn't have, because he ended up kind of uh, pushing back my Hearthguard unit. I ended up losing more men than he did, and then I also ended up losing my mounted hearthguard unit when I charged them in. So it's just also it's just making sure with you know with this because they don't really have I would say the Romans don't really have like a knockout ability where they can just knock people out of the game. It's just mm -hmm. making sure that if I do making sure when I engage I'm engaging the best possible advantage for like in terms of my the unit types going up against each other. Um, and also just kind of making sure my units are maintain a tight formation so that that eight-man hearth guardian it can squeeze in kind of anywhere it needs to be. Okay, that makes sense. Is there anything you're going to change on your composition from uh, 
from that? No, I kind of like the way I like that composition because it's two 12-man warriors, one 12-man levy, which is kind of just there to be fodder, take, take hits. Because um, the way I organize the unit really is the 12-man levies in front, then I have the, my two warrior units, and then the hearth guard unit is in back. Or no, excuse me. I think it, I was just using eight-man warrior units. So there was, you know, it was just the warriors, kind of like, try, almost like a Roman Republic kind of setup of an army. Like you have the weak guys up front, middle guys in the middle, and then tough guys in the back. Mm-hmm. And I like that because it kind of just, you use the weak guys to kind of weaken up uh, the enemy and then kind of just, you know, what sort of, cycle through your units. So I don't think I'll change anything in terms of the composition cool. of the army, at least anytime soon. Well, that's cool. What about you, Daniel? What uh, would you learn about the Norse scales there from uh, those two games? So I learned more, well, obviously, I think I'm going to try the six-man hearth guard and never, I learned more the week before, I think, never use, I, I don't like the heavy weapon hearth guard. I think the disadvantage on the armor doesn't weigh out the uh, benefit of the um, plus one on the attack. So honestly, my composition now, I'm going to try six-man hearth guards. I seem to like them better than the eight. And uh, I, I need levies. So the week before, or what, two weeks before, we were at Dragon's Goat Hall, Keith had let me borrow some levies. And I really liked throwing some levies in there, which I don't currently have any for my army. So I think I'm going to try um, to get some levies and, and run with them because they can soak up some hits and uh, just gives you a little more versatility. But I, I really, I like the, the warriors. I think I'll keep uh, the eight-man warrior units, uh, six-man hearth guard, and then, like I said, maybe a unit, some units of levies. Okay. So you normally, you're going to go with probably three points of uh, hearth guard. So that's two units of six. Uh, two warriors and one levy then is what you're thinking yeah absolutely and li I liked the levies a lot when I had them uh, I gave it just a different feel and then I mean you're you're eliminating a whole use on your board if you're not using levies right yeah I um I found that when I a couple times I've run this army that I actually took the 12 man levy unit and split it into two units of six and kept them cowering hidden behind my lines but within range, uh, a short of, uh, you know, of my actual units out there fighting. And then from that expendable thing that orders or orders reaction says until the end of your turn when a unit should suffer fatigue and force a non-exhausted unit of friendly slaves within short to take the fatigue instead. So I would have my guys up there fighting. They'd fight the combat. But they go, oh, no, no, give the fatigue to the guys behind us. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It'd be really useful. I didn't think about splitting them into two, though. Now you got what you got to watch for is somebody who can like sneak around and get a shot at them or whatever. As long as you can keep them protected, you know they're not going to drop beneath giving you a saga dice because then you actually get an extra saga dice out of it by having them in two units of six. But the minute they one of them takes one, they they go down to not generating a saga dice anymore. So it's kind of a a fragile thing. But if you can keep them hidden pretty well, then you're good on that. Yeah, it's a bold strategy, but if it pays off, um, seems like it's worth it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so that sounds sounds like a pretty good uh, pretty good army setup for for them. Uh, you're gonna keep running the Norse scales until uh, until the Saxons are painted up, then. I think so. Yeah, uh, I kind of like playing. When I first started playing, I played like Anglo Saxons, Vikings, um, but the Saracens is mm -hmm. that what they were, yeah. and uh, a bunch of different armies, and it's fun. 
but you don't really get to know the battle board. I like to play through it a few times, so it's been kind of fun just playing one army. Yeah, I agree. I agree that it's definitely something that you want to... The more you get to know the battle board, the better you get at it. So... Um, what about you, Thomas? Uh, what did you learn about the Crusaders? Obviously, you played you played both variants of them there. Yeah, I, I think I think I learned not to play the Baltic Crusaders again unless uh, <laughs> I'm going to run into the lion <laughs> and to stay away from the Moors. Um, but I, uh, I I think I'm going to try to run um, another point of pilgrims next time. I may even make it a another fanatical pilgrim. Um, I really like the eight-man foot hearth guard because the pilgrims move slow enough as it is, so I figured to make the whole army slow, um, and it gives them extra defense if I'm getting arrows rained down on me. Um, so I like that piece of it. Um, I, I haven't figured out if I really like that crossbow, that eight-man crossbow warrior. Um, I feel like it, it just doesn't do much. Um, it, you know, it's, I feel like it could probably use that point elsewhere. So maybe adding a little bit of you know, taking that away and adding a four-man hearth guard. Um, Can you take um, um, a Levy Archer unit with that army, Thomas? No, there's no Levy Archer. The only Levy Ar- the only levies for the bolt for the eleven times crusaders are uh, pilgrims. Yeah, I've with, always uh, found the, the crossbowmen to be kind of limiting in what they can. Yeah, do. I mean that plus one it gets mounted nice, um, but again when it's one eight-man crossbow unit, you're really just taking pot shots until you're melee units get into combat which I've not found that it's been that effective um, so I think maybe swapping um, that unit out and using either a, you know an eight man warrior, uh, mounted warrior and just hopefully don't have them do what they did last time when I uh, <laughs> play the board uh, maybe don't be so aggressive that they die right away um, but I think adding either a point of first guard mounted or uh, at one point mounted warriors and just taking away all the ranged combat with that unit would um, be the best play with it. But, you know, it, who knows? I mean, I think if I did Baltic Crusaders again, I'd probably run into the Lion, and I've got enough mounted units um, that I could do um, several points of Western Knights to see how that plays. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. Um, I know that you guys are big fans of the eight-man uh, warrior or eight-man Hearthguard units, um, but one thing I've found in, when facing those eight-man warrior units if um, there are certain armies that can freeze a unit on your side after like one move, uh, like the Pagan Russ, if you ever play the Pagan Russ, you might not want to make your big giant eight man unit um, because what they can do is after you move one time, they can play this uh, orders reaction ability or activation reaction or something like that uh, ability on it. And that stops it. That's all it can do is move that one move or take that one activation. Um, so personally, if I was, if I was an opponent and I saw an eight man hearth guard unit coming at me, I would use that ability on that every single turn of the game. So you're only going to get six activations with that unit in a six time game, a six, six thing game, because, you know, you're going to, you're going to have that queued up and, and throw them on them. So I don't know, you kind of got to be flexible and depending on who you're facing, I know the pagan roost can do that. And I think there's a couple other ones on the. Crusader, Age of Crusades, I think maybe the Spanish can do it. I don't know, but we don't we don't have anybody Spanish playing, really. And the Anglo Danes have that um, fatigue ability, don't they? You can fatigue a u- like a unit, yeah, completely. Yeah, so they can throw fatigue on that unit every single turn. Now, I mean, you might be able to take the fatigue off to a certain degree with some of your abilities and everything, but I'm just saying, I, I uh, that worries me a little bit 
is putting so many eggs in one basket there. But uh, but it's act it's tough. I mean, my uh, my Moorish cavalry found out how tough Jason's uh, elite legionaries were in that game. That's for sure. You know, just thinking before you talk about that, I think another unit alternative could be two six man foot hurt guards and three fanatical pilgrims. But I like the way your six man hurt guard went. Um, and it gives you not not eight in a, a unit, but it gives you six. But I feel like it's more it's going to hit harder than the four man foot hurt guard. So who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll try something more. And it's more survivable, I've found, too. I, think, I, I am a big fan of six-man hearthguard units, whether for the Vikings on foot or whether for the you know, Moors on mount, you know, mounted. I, I like that two six-mans better than one eight-man or, or, or four-packs or anything like that. Yeah, I think the four-man hearthguard are too fragile. Like, they're, they can be kind of, I don't want to say easily wiped out, but they, if, they, if you take you know, four hits and you don't save them, then you're, you know, you're out. That, you if know. you got heavy weapons on top of that, it's really not good. Yeah, <laughs> right. that, is, that is very true. Right. And I, I know, uh, Daniel, you were talking about never not using the heavy weapons, but once again, it might be situational. If you're facing, say, Jim Began and his uh, Yom's Vikings or in his Viking where he takes six points of Hearthguard, I don't know. It might the, That heavy weapon might actually be worth it because you just turned all his units into armor class four. You know basically with your heavy weapons. So it's not so much, it's not that big of a deal if they've only got one or two Hearthguard units, but if somebody walks across from you and has a six, you know, has plays the 24 figure, you know, you know, six times four Hearthguard army, um, then I don't know. I, I'd be real tempted to take the heavy weapons at that point. Cause you know, they don't have any archers. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, but and I also uh, Thomas, I also agree with you. What you were talking about your your warrior crossbowmen. I I really don't think warrior bow are that tough um, unless you have battleboard abilities like the Carolingians do, which really amp up their shooting. You know, otherwise I'm with you. I mean, because really honestly, an eight man crossbow unit rolls four attack dice, and your crappy little twelve man levy unit with with bows rolls six attack dice. It's, it's yeah, it's just, it's just, you're right. It doesn't seem like a very well-used point, use of a point that you're spending when you could probably use it somewhere else. Right, yeah. So, um, yeah, I like those, uh, I like what you guys are talking about with your, um, you know, ch- changes to your armies and uh, the way you're going to do your composition. Um, so, I was just going to say real quick. Sure. I, I find with the Anglo-Danes, at the very least, heavy weapons to be very useful. Um, it might just be their battle board abilities, but if you're going up against, you know, especially smaller units, because I usually do like a six-man, two six-man hearthguard with the Anglo-Danes, I mean, they can, you can easily rack up. It's easier to rack up the kills, you know, as long as you have abilities that can, you know, counteract, you know, your def- deficiency in defense. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I usually don't use heavy weapons, so I'm, in general, I'm with Thomas on the, uh, I don't want, I prefer, I mean, Daniel, I'm not, I prefer not to use them, uh, but I can see where you're, where you're coming from, that you don't have to bump those guys that much if, if uh, there are 12 figures or 12 attack dice at plus one, and if you're going against warriors, you're already at a three, so you're already going to hit with, you know, 
two thirds of the dice. So yeah, you can you can definitely do some damage. And and obviously, there's you're going to play some battle boards. If you know you're bringing in your six man Hearthguard unit, you're not just going in with nothing else. You're going to have something to pump them up a little bit. So you've been playing. I mean, I know in the beginning you bounced around a lot, Jason. You're playing a lot of different armies. So. Do you know about how many games could you take a guess? Do you play with the Romans in a row now, or you know, you played total with the Romans? Yeah, I kind of switched between the Romans and the last Romans. So if we combine those two armies, then I would say probably the last twelve games maybe oh. has been all Romans. I would say. Okay. All right. So. If not more. What made you choose the Romans over the last Romans? Because I was kind of equating you playing with the last Romans early on, and then, you know, lately, of course, you've been playing the Age of Invasions Romans. What what made you switch? What's the difference between the two that you like them better? Um, well, part of it is just my bias towards late antiquity, I guess. So, like, Crisis of the 3rd Century Rome and after. I find that to be a really interesting period of history, the fall of you know, the western half of the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I do like... The, I've only found a couple of abilities that really work with the Romans, but I think that simplicity makes them almost more fun to play, I guess. Um, the two abilities are Scudda and Ardor, and there's a lot of... There's a lot more resource management with the Romans because you have the impetus to deal with, but those two abilities, when you use those in conjunction with each other... Um, just make the Romans really hard for, I think, aggressive players to go against. And I would say I've only really ever played most of the aggressive players. Um, and so it's that it's those two abilities especially that really fit my play style of trying to be defensive and then lure my opponent into some kind of like trap. So well, that makes sense. That's a pretty good pretty good thing. Now. Um... I've always thought what I would like to do uh, if I had the time and I was playing the Romans was to redesign the battle board with like a, a green background for the abilities that, that give you a bonus to your uh, to your impetus and a red one to take them away because <laughs> I always lose track of which ones. Which yeah, ones there's not many abilities that give it to you. There's um, a defensive ability called, well, I don't even know if you'd really call it a defensive ability, but... Lemus or Lemus, I, I can't, I'm not, my Latin is a little rusty, but uh, it looks like limes. Um, but you basically just increase your armor by two, but then you discard all of your attack and defense dice, and that increases it by one. But the, uh, the one I always use is Rally, which is basically you're just discarding Saga dice to bring it back up. Um, and that can be kind of a tough sell sometimes, getting rid of, you know, your... <laughs> your saga dice um but yeah it can most abilities are going to decrease your impetus and getting it back it, it can be kind of costly which is why the romans are i think a bit of a slower army because you're constantly you know go you're constantly discarding saga dice to get you know your impetus back up right so you not only do you have to put a dice on rally it says increase your okay so so you get one for one you get yep. the one you put on rally which increases your impetus by one but you can also take off up to three anywhere else where on the board if you want that's pretty yeah good. I, and i usually just put those in combat bonus um you know and then just discard them so 
if you if you need to or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Well, and you have to do that during the orders um, phase, so you can't do it during combat, um, and you never know what's going to happen. So you almost always, at least for me, I'm a more cautious player, maybe, but I'm almost always making sure my impetus is at you know four at right. the start of my turn. Right. Yeah, I play the uh, the Carolingians from time to time, the, and they got the Proleum on the board. And you only put three dice in there, but um, I always try to keep it fully stocked. I mean, it's, I always want to, to you know, because it, it affects the rest of your abilities, like you said, with, with Ardor and, uh, you know, Scuda. It, it, it just, you're hurting yourself by not having that fully maxed out. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean... Being able to throw five defense di- or re-roll five defense dice is a lot different than only being able to re-roll, you know, two or three. Um, so you really want to make sure you have it on there to keep your army as survivable as possible. So in that case, you probably never use Baratus, you know, the the battle cry. Of- I, I, I used it on you that that our one battle. I think uh, that's where I was. Um, you know, that's when I was. <laughs> blindly rushing my uh, warrior and levy units into your levy archers That's and right. uh, your levy archers just kept on pushing them back but it's it's a, it's nice because obviously you get to activate four units for just two saga d- dice and you get the two bonus attack dice but that two bonus attack dice doesn't really do a whole lot um, you know I mean it's two extra it's only two extra dice you're gonna want to have maybe more some combat bonus stuff. Uh, combat bonus dice um, kind of geared up because when you use it, you're decreasing your impetus by four too. Right. So your impetus is completely gone. So you can't use Ardor. Skada at that point is basically useless. Um, so you want to make sure that when you use that, you have other you have stuff in combat. Your combat bonus or your guys are not gonna probably do as well. And I think that was kind of the issue when I played against you was none of my guys had. I I didn't have anything in combat bonus. Right. Um, Yes, that makes sense. I was always wondering why people didn't use it more often, but then I see that reduce your impetus by four. Um, so if you're not fully maxed out, you can't use it. And okay, so and it's going to take a lot to get it back up to full. I mean, right. you're going to have to discard four saga dice. That's a it's a lot of saga dice to get rid of. And I think I used it on the last turn only too. Um, it's like a it's really, it is really like a last turn ability. You don't want to use it really right. towards the beginning at all. Unless you're doing a, okay, I've got my attack turn and my rest turn, my attack turn, my rest turn kind of thing. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Daniel, who were the heroes of the day? I know that uh, you, you, you struggled a little bit on the, on the outcomes of the games, but in your army, if you had to pick, pick one of your, your units, who, who were the heroes from last Sunday? You know, I don't really have one. The week, but I'm going to go with the time before that. My warlord, the time before that was there. I should have used him more this time, and I didn't. So I guess um, it, it was kind of different every game. Um, I had a different unit I was using. So my, I'll, I'll, pick, I'll pick the Hearthguard if, if I'll pick that day. The Hearthguard against Jason did a pretty good job of getting me some points and, and closing the gap. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say your eight man Hearthguard unit really did a number on my two Hearthguard units. I mean, I was kind of we were get we were closing down at the end of time, but I was getting kind of worried that my left, my right flank, your left, was about to open up on my side and just kind of start mowing me down. Um, they really did a number on my my two Hearthguard units. 
So you gotta take gotta take Jason off his game, and then 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 suddenly the Romans are discombobulated and you can do it uh who's the who's the little priest figure you have running around out there uh is he just one of your hearth your uh pre- pilgrim figures uh thomas it, he's just a regular hearth guard so he's nothing special There's a, i've got a mounted one and then i've got two little foot priests that came i want to say it was harry miniatures um i bought a pack and it was like four priests you had peter the hermit who had the soldier holding the true cross on a horse and then um it was like a bit up and just like a regular um, monk holding a cross, I think. Yeah. Um, but they're pretty cool little pieces. Those, uh, but that's where I got it. I wanted to have like the, the true cross. It's like when the I got real into Crusader history uh, and read about three books in about a three month period. And then we started playing Saga. So it was like the perfect time to, you know, buy an army and and try to base around what I've been reading, reading about. So that was where I kind of found them and put them in there. But no special unit with it. Just kind of a cool little piece. Bundle you could buy from that website. Yeah, I, uh, I, I was looking at my pictures. I'm like, well, I don't remember this guy doing anything special in the game. And I, and I assumed he wasn't a priest figure, like a priest mercenary or anything like that, you know, leader or whatever. But I was just curious what you used him for because he's a really cool looking figure sitting on there. So, yeah, I actually just taught my students about the Crusades uh, last week. It was a, have you ever seen the, um, I think it's by the History Channel, it's called. Uh, the Crusades, the Crescent and the Cross. Have you ever watched that uh, the DVD, the documentary? I've seen parts of it. I think. I think is it Dan? Is it Brown? That's the commentator on it. Could be. Could be. I'm not sure, but it's it's really Dan dramatic. Jones, I'm sorry. I think it's Dan Jones. That's right. Yeah, it's pretty like, dramatic. The, the 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 monk who narrates uh, parts of it, you know, reads the part. He gets kind of everything but frothing at the mouth, you know, and. Uh, they got little reenactors talking and stuff like that. So yeah, it's 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 really good. I like that one. But uh, yeah, I can see how if you just read a couple books on the Crusades and you you look at the armies that are available, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm definitely uh, gonna definitely get myself a Crusade army. So so yeah, um, and that, it's not like we've normally had a lot of Crusade armies until last the last time at Dragon's Guildhall. They kind of came out of the woodwork, didn't they? Yeah, the one guy I played against, and I know you said his name earlier, so I apologize again. Michael, I yeah. I him. Michael, um, his army was, I think he just recently painted it, was still working on painting it. It looks like he could do military Christie or, or Crusaders with it because of how cool he had them painted. Um, so yeah, it's kind of cool to see the different units and armies. And um, I've never played a Crusader against Crusader army, so that'd be That'd be an interesting battle. It'd be pretty bloody, I'm sure. Oh, that's right. He was playing as Militis Christi. That's right. I was thinking it was Crusades, but uh, yeah, that's right. Now, what did you think of that battle board? I've never played against that battle board. Did you think it was? I've not played it. I've been, I've been trying to see like the next. I'm actually look. I was looking at battle boards last week, and I'm looking to see. I'm, I don't paint myself, so looking for. I may. I may pick it up though. Who knows? Um, but there was a Teutonic first uh, guard I found online. So I really looked at this uh, Ordenstadt uh, mm-hmm. battle board and. It is just like one where you are taking casualties of your own unit to get more dice and more hits. Um, it just, I don't know, the pieces I found online look really cool, and they've got some cool, um, they have like warrior javelin units you can add, um, and then um, a lot of perk guard and heavy weapons. But the military Christie, they've got, the, the one disadvantage I say they have, they can't have any um, levies in their army, so it's all um, pretty uh, much professional soldiers, it's like history. So um, I believe it's where you really... He, I believe he used uh, a couple of crossbow warrior units against me, and then mainly just first guard. 
I mean, I think that's where the army, it's got a lot of, I don't remember all the battleboard abilities. It's got some really good ones, but I think not having any levies kind of hurts it a little bit too. Yeah, I would agree. That's, I've found in general, it's always useful to have a unit of levy archers or something like that on the board to, to be able to put some, I mean, because you never know. I mean, you could shoot a four-man hearthguard unit and you get lucky with a couple hits and the other guy roll, you know, whiffs on his saves. I mean, you've taken out half of a point right there of some of their toughest figures. It's uh so uh, any uh, any other things you guys would like to add to the uh, the discussion, the saga discussion? The only thing I can think of is just um, if you're if you are listening out there, I mean you're a defensive player like me, um, <laughs> make sure to always I guess use terrain, mm -hmm. put as much terrain out there as possible, because um, that's what I think. It's one of the reasons why my game with Mike was so close, and I think that was one of the reasons why I was able to beat Daniel. Uh, the game we played was just because um, the way you know training was arranged with you know with you know with me and Mike, I ha I was basically was able to kind of funnel his try to funnel his soldiers in through a gap in between the two terrain pieces, and then or and you use that that high terrain cover to keep myself from getting shot, and then with Daniel. Um, I was able to keep a tight formation because basically there was four pieces of terrain in the middle. So there was, a, there was just basically just like a central gap where most of the battle happened. And then there was, you know, two gaps on the side in the very middle. And that's kind of when our, where I, you know, went to the right and kind of forked off my mounted um, troops. So don't forget the use of terrain. Um, I think it's something a lot of aggressive players will try to like you know, put train off to the side. That's what I've seen a lot with a lot of Saga um, battles is, you know, people, when they're placing train, they're just placing them kind of out to the side and leaving an open battlefield. And if you're defensive, you want stuff right in the middle of the battle to cut up the battlefield to your advantage. Okay, and the Moors say, don't listen to that heretic. That uh, What a horrible idea to, to clog up no, our No, 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 don't listen to the Moors, for sure. <laughs> They're, uh, they, they have all that cover. They want a wide-open field. You want to put ruins and rocky ground out there. Well, and you saw what I did in, your, in our battle. I mean, I was thank goodness I was the first player, because you'd clogged it up even worse than it was, is I shifted us 90 degrees, and the only thing you had that, you know, to, to put your guys in was that one woods, you know, in the middle kind of center of your board. And I'd put the other two pieces that were out, or the other pieces that were out there in kind of on my side of the board. So they were staying, they were out of the battle for the most part. So Well, yeah, and I think you were expecting me to start maybe closer to you because our setup was kind of weird because we did um, Battle of Heroes. And I can't remember what deployment you know, rule it was or deployment option, but it was basically, you know, you pick a saw, you just pick a point on the map or on the board rather. Right. And then, you know, set up within a lawn of that. And you picked, uh, <clears throat> you know, over by where the rocky ground was, you picked um, a spot there. Um, and then it, when it was to my right, it was the right edge of the board. Mm -hmm. um, I think you were maybe expecting me to set up maybe on my board edge, but I just went to the opposite board edge you had gone to and then kind of nestled myself in that, that between that hill and that woods. Right, yeah. I mean, you could say nestled. I would say cowering, but uh, that's all right. But uh, 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 We were trenched in. You know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and I actually didn't care too much. I just wanted the terrain, you not to be able to use those two terrain pieces that were in my deployment area. I was just like, I just wanted to deny those to you. 
And uh, yeah, I and and we since we we deployed on the short sides, we had that longer board edge, to, uh, that longer gap to kind of to cross. And then on top of that, we had a five turn game. So you know, because we had cautious down there, appropriately enough for you that we had cautious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then uh, yeah, so that was that made it a, a shorter or fewer battles, fewer melees than we might have had otherwise. So yeah, it was good though. So. Thomas, Daniel, anything, any, any other ideas you wanted to throw out there? Oh, I was going to say, if you're going to run a Crusader army there, just make sure, you know, you yell day of fault before you go forward, and, you know, you might you might end up winning the day. So, that's all I would say. Is, yeah, turn yeah. six always beats fanatical pilgrims. So, <laughs> it stops them in their tracks. <laughs> I was going to say, day of fault. Isn't that a variety of cheese, or no? No, it's not, not, not a special <laughs> French variety of cheese. I think it's a French variety. Yes, it is. it is. It is the French version of cheese. But uh, <laughs> so, so let me get this right. So uh, Jason's building Anglo-Danes. So we're going to see those at some point, right, Jason? Yep. All right. Thomas is building you, – you're not building any – is there anything you bought yet? Or are you contemplating buying a uh, – there's a guy that's got a really good painted – Ordenstadt, um, Hearthguard, so if I bought that, I could either commission him to paint the warriors or le- and levies or whatever else I wanted to add, but I- I've thought about purchasing a Norman army and painting it, because I think it'd be cool to have uh, William the Conqueror in some pieces, but as of now, I've not done anything, so just kind of looking at options. Well, that'd be good for you, too, because then uh, you would have an Age of Vikings army and an Age of Crusades army, so like, for example, the the tournament at CincyCon in October is going to be an Age of Vikings tournament. So, I mean, you could always borrow an army, obviously, but you may want to you know, play your own. But uh, And Normans would be similar in vain to your Crusaders, so it's not like you'd be changing radically in style of play. So, But that would be a good choice. There's a guy, um, there's a, a new line of figures out, a Kickstarter line uh, by Bob Merch, who makes a series called Pulp Figures, but it's 1066. So it's William the Conqueror line and, you know, all that. And, and I've I've decided that when I do get around to buying my Norman army, I'm going to buy those figures. And uh, they also, you could use them as First Crusade figures too, obviously. So um, they would work for Crusaders also. So Yeah, that's why I thought of buying them, just kind of nerdy probably sounding to me thinking of it this way. But it's like the Crusaders are the sons of the uh, Normans in a sense that took over uh, England and some of the people that fought in the Battle of Hastings, their sons, then went on to conquer Jerusalem. So, thinking like historically, it'd be kind of cool to have a Viking army led in the Crusader army. Oh yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it'd be good. And then Daniel, you're working on those Anglo-Saxons, right? That's right. And then I'm probably gonna buy some uh, painted uh, levies for my for my Norse gales. So there, I've seen a bunch cheap online. So oh yeah, they, they won't tell me back much to get some levies. Right. Yeah, that'd be good. All right, cool. Well, I look forward to the next time we get together for Saga. Uh, it still shocks me that was the first time Thomas and Daniel had played each other. Was that that time? And just all the all the games we played and everything, you guys had never matched up against each other. No, and he's having a bad day, so I let him win too. So oh, well, next time the outcome might be a little bit different. You know, we may, we may not have the playable war bands if we played each other at home. We might smash some pieces. I'm not sure. <laughs> 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 always a possibility always a possibility so 
Uh, all right. Well, hey, uh, I really appreciate you guys coming out and talking to me tonight and, uh, you know, getting a chance to let the listeners uh, find it, figure out who this next generation is that I keep talking about. So, um, you know, oh, I thought you said best generation before. I thought you were saying the best generation. Was, I was going to say you can call me Captain <laughs> Card then for the, the next generation. All right. So if if we're doing that, you know, I, I almost half anticipated that. Uh, so so who, you know, Jason thinks he's uh, Captain Picard. I was thinking more like Wesley Crusher or something like that. Oh, but, I'm yeah. not Wesley Crusher. That's a it's an insult. Thomas, yeah, shut up, uh, shut up, Wesley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thomas, if you're the next generation, which which one are you then? You know, I think I'd be Han Solo, but that's because I don't really follow Star Trek as closely as, you know, Star Trek. Yeah. Oh, oh, my gosh. And I run my ship more in the uh, the way that Kirk ran his ship, so I'm more of a James T. Kirk right. uh, captain I was gonna, I was going to say Daniel would be William T. Riker, but that, was, that, that would be, <laughs> that's just me. I guess we'll, I guess we're, we're proving that maybe uh, Thomas and Daniel haven't watched a whole lot of Star Trek is what we're proving out of here. <laughs> so. All right. Well, hey, it was great. It was great talking to you guys. Uh, hope you guys had a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is good. This is a good time. Thanks right. for inviting me. Oh, hey, no problem. It's been great. Uh, so I will see you guys hopefully here in a couple weeks or something. We'll we'll be doing Saga again, and uh, and uh, maybe this time uh, Jason will will stop the moors or avoid the moors or something like that. I think I think avoidance will be our strategy for okay. for the moors. <laughs> <laughs> Not volunteering to be Charles Martel. All right. All right. Well, hey, thanks a lot, guys. We'll see you. We'll talk to you soon. All right. See you, Mike. Mike.